This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 123 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts, the show where we are your friends. <laughs> I like that. That's really nice. I feel good. We're your buddies. So I think we should first talk about why we're uh, so behind in the shows over the last week or so. Yeah. What the hell's going on, Jason? So well, where were you? Why don't you tell people? Uh, were, you I was running, up- were you running from the law or something? No, I was up on, I was up on the East Coast uh, working... Uh, doing a contract on the East coast and the, the network connection that they had, um, it, it wouldn't have afforded a podcast, but plus also because I was doing an on-site contract, we wasn't really in a situation where I could do a podcast anyway. You just didn't have a whole lot of time. Yeah. Totally and, snowed under. And well, the other thing, so that's what we, we missed a weekend, uh, discussion show because of that. Yeah. And then also I was going to, I was scheduled to interview, um, Leslie Kane, um, but my, for some reason, my audio recording software is not working. I can't get it to work. So I had to postpone the interview to, uh, this week. So that put, that's how we missed not only a discussion show, but also an interview show. And then this weekend, um, the reason we're a little behind in days anyway, and we're doing a discussion show now, obviously, but it's Monday, um, as opposed to when we normally record, which is either Saturday or Sunday, is that, uh, Colby, my six-year-old son, um, got viral meningitis um, and we had to rush him to the hospital on uh, Friday. And so I was in the hospital much of the weekend, but uh, luckily he, uh, and amazingly he recovered almost instantly. Yeah, that was good. I mean, I, I was, I was visibly stressed about that. I was thinking about that. George will tell you, like, I was like, Oh God, Colby's in hospital with meningitis. That just isn't good. Yeah. So, so what happened was it was, you know, during last week he, he had headaches on and off, you know, which he didn't have much of a temperature. He just complained he had a headache. And so Sandy gave him some, um, you know, children's ibuprofen. And like 15 minutes later, he was good to go and ready to go to soccer practice or karate or whatever. So it wasn't a, didn't seem like it was a big deal. And then it happened one or two other times. And then by the third day, um, he had it and he had a little bit of temperature. Sandy was like, well, you know, we're not, I'm not sending, he's not going to do any, he's not going to go to soccer practice, just stay home, take it easy. And then mm-hmm. send him to school on Thursday. And then by, 11 in the morning, he get a, we get a call from the nurse's office that he's crying because of a headache, and he doesn't cry very easily. So if he's crying, he's got to be in some pretty severe pain. And so, you know, and then he was kind of okay with some ibuprofen, and then he wakes up middle on uh, Friday early in the morning, and he's five in the morning, and he's throwing up, and he's in severe pain, and for like three hours, he's just crying because of his headache, right? And it's not responding, and um, Sandy initially was planning on taking him, you know, to the, uh, you know, the urgent care, you know, later in the day, you know, when uh, our daughter was napping or whatever. But by nine o'clock, I'm like, you know, you have to take him right now. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but this is not good. And took him to urgent care, and then the urgent care sends us to emergency room, and then emergency room they they have him cordoned off in um in the emergency room, and the emer- they actually have him quarantined because of the meningitis. Oh man. Yeah, so they it was like something out of a movie, and then I show up around a little while later because I had to watch the you know my uh, my daughters, and so I 
show up and uh, the nurse intercepts me and she's like, listen, you know, it could be meningitis. And, you know, I look over and I see all these doctors and nurses with their anti-contagion gear on. And it was just really, it was, it was just, I mean, it was kind of thing is just so scary and so yeah. unreal. You're almost dizzy. You're like, I can't, you don't want to think about it. I couldn't even focus. I'm like, what is going on? I mean, this is just, this is like the worst. Uh, I mean, anyone who has any kids can tell you, I mean, there's nothing worse in the world than the thought of uh, something happening like that to uh, your kids. And I didn't know much about meningitis, but the little bit I read about it in Wikipedia scared the crap out of me. So I had to stop reading about it because it was like, you know, deafness, mental impairment, so, you know, deform- phys- physical deformities, you know, death. I mean, just like, you know, yeah. bad, bad news. But um, ultimately what happened was uh, I, you know, Sandy stayed at the hospital all day. So he's getting CAT scans and a spinal tap and all this kind of stuff. And, I show up in the evening and take places with her because I had to watch uh, the girls. And um, by the time I got there at 9 o'clock at night, he's like, hey, Dad, um, can we get pizza? It's Friday night. <laughs> like, dude, you're like on your deathbed. So, like, so did guy, he have meningitis then? Yes, he had viral meningitis. And so they didn't know early on whether it was bacterial or viral meningitis, both of which are, are bad. But bacterial meningitis is apparently a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's harder, it could, it's more damaging or it's harder to recover from or what, what the difference is, but it's worse. Um, so they were under, they were, they were thinking it was probably viral, but, and then the, I think after this, after some more tests, they were pretty sure that was the case. And by the evening, you know, he was, he was fine. I mean, he was in his bed and he's just like watching Spider-Man and asking for pizza. <laughs> the, the nurse yeah. comes in and he's like, Hey, do you got some pizza on you? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome she has like her anti-contagion gear on and he's like you know can we order Domino's or something and uh because so- I, I i called because i called you up i mean after you'd said it to me i called you up i don't know like six hours later or whatever and as soon as i called you the the, the call just went rejected and i was like oh my god the call was rejected i was just calling up to ask you how how you would you know how everything was going uh, i thought what what could you you know what reason could Jason have for just instantly rejecting the call? And I was, I was just sitting there like stressed as hell. And then about a minute later, you call back and said, Hey dude, what's up? Uh, my phone just uh, canceled for some weird reason. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> oh yeah. And I was I like, maybe I was in some oh, thank God. <laughs> depression, like stuff was going really bad. And I, yeah. no, no, it, yeah, it, it was. So, so I spent the night with uh, Colby in the hospital and, uh, you know, I get a, you know, wake up in the morning and the, and the doctor comes by making his rounds and he's, and he, you know, and I say, look, I, and he checks his vitals and Colby's vitals are all fine. And he's practically ready to bounce out of the bed. And the, uh, and then, and then I go over with the doctor and I said, well, this is kind of what happens to symptoms. And he's like, look, he's like, normally with viral meningitis, you would expect that, um, it'd be a number of days of recovery. They'd have to be under observation and maybe on IV and, you know, it'd just be a, a, a period of recovery. He's like, but in rare instances, you'll see something which, which is what we term a bounce where the patient clears the disease themselves and just immediately bounces back. And he's like, he's like, you just got really lucky here. He's like, he, he's apparently bounced. So he's fine. So, uh, he's like, I imagine they're going to want to, they'll discharge you in a few hours. And so, you know, a few hours later, uh, we're sitting at Baja fresh, having a burrito and grabbing some ice cream. And then we head over to the park and we're, you know, we're at the park literally playing football, you know, little more than 24 hours when he was less probably about 24 hours from the time that he was sedated getting a spinal tap in the well that is awesome that is awesome i'm very very so, glad well thank you that, so that was my story i'd say it was scary as hell and, and you know it's like one of those things that like it puts everything in perspective except for that you're just like 
Whew, whatever. Okay, so so you say it puts everything in perspective. So, like, how are you feeling about um, your projects now and and your consultancy and all that stuff? Ah, uh, good. You know, I mean, I I didn't mean it to say that like I was feeling bad about things before. I just mean that like you know, regardless of whatever is happening, I was in a good mode. But has it changed? What I'm saying is, has it changed your priorities in any way? Yeah. Uh, like, cons- you know, more focused on consultancy, more focused on Epic Night. Hasn't hasn't made you think about anything like that? No, I, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Because I think I'm generally pretty in touch with what is it, what's important with me, what's important to me, right? What it is that I care about and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, I mean, I, you know, there are periods of time where we all kind of get on autopilot, and you have to take a step back and go, okay, now what are what are what's, what are my priorities? And but I'm doing what I love to do, and I'm doing things the way I want to do them. So I'm I'm not too. Um, I was in a situation where I, I, I would want to second guess or rethink. But, um, yeah, so the only thing I will say right now is I've probably taken on too many projects once again. So i got to figure out how to scale out of that. I said yes too many times. Yeah, I, I had to um, uh, ditch a project uh, that I was working on with a friend, and I felt really bad about it. Um, but I just had to do it because I had so much other stuff going on. What project? It is, it is a bad feeling. Um, I was I was just doing a website with uh, Sebastian. Um, we we were doing a website for one of his uh, for one of his friends, and I just had to you know ditch it because I just didn't have time. Yeah, and this is this is separate from the other project that you, the secret project that you and yeah Sebastian. not no not related no it was just it was just like a, you know quick um, well in theory quick but uh, you know like a WordPress kind of skinning project but. I ended up just not not being able to do it. I've got so much other work. I mean, through through the company that I work for, the main company, um, I have two big projects from there, and then also Plugio, and then also something with Sebastian, and the podcast. So that's so much, you know. Well, just the startup too much. guild. Yeah, startup guild. Um, but uh, I tell you what, though, I'm I'm feeling depressed right now, and people are probably going to go, "Oh no, not of depressed again." <laughs> So oh, what are you so depressed, depressed about? Again. What are you depressed about? I am depressed about. I mean, I think it's fantastic that Plugio is growing. I've sent you uh, the, the chart with some stats so you can mm-hmm. see how it's going. Um, and it's it's you know it's a great trend. But wow. what depresses me is that it's a year till that hits ten thousand. Yeah. Okay. So it's a year until that hits ten thousand. Yeah. You know, first of all, uh, that's not a lot of time. A year goes by super. We've done this podcast for like two years now. I know it's true. A year it's is true. nothing. You're gonna blink, have a cup of coffee, take a nap, and it's gonna a year is gonna go by. So well, I, I hope so. I, I wouldn't worry so. about it. I mean, and and not only that, it's like when you're making six, seven thousand a month. I mean, you're still gonna be pretty happy. I mean, because the thing is, it's not binary, right? It's not like okay, you're you're doing a lot of consulting work and then you're not doing any. It's like you can start scaling out of it. And you're doing less and less, and then pretty soon you're really it's totally uh, uh, discretionary whether you feel like doing any consulting work. Right. Yeah. But it's still, that's, that, that's not going to happen for like at least nine months. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Nine months. You know, it's not a lot of time, man. I know. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I you should get, I, I, I just don't think that's something to, if you, if it was going to be like five years, I'd say, yeah, that's a long time. Nine months. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. It's just not, I mean, nine months might seem like a long time if you're 10 years old. But uh, for you, you've lived. That life. was su- such a kind of <laughs> subtle, underhanded dig. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, is that when you're really young, a year seems like forever. You know, right. I remember when I was in high school, and I was talking with uh, the parents of my best friend, and I at the time I was considering doing um, 
this sort of, I think it was ROTC or something for like the Air Force. I wanted to fly jets. And uh, it was going to like, and the problem was that it would require an eight year commitment. And I remember t- 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 talking about that and saying, I just don't know if I could do it. I mean, I really would be really fun to be a fighter pilot. And I was really, I, you know, I had perfect vision and all that kind of stuff. So I, could, I would be able to qualify for flight school, but I just wasn't sure that eight years was something I wanted to do. And I said, just forever. And he's like, because I said, oh, it's like, Ever since I was like, you know, in fourth grade or something, because then I was a senior in high school. And he's like, listen, eight years to you now seems like a lot, but, you know, and it's not going to be too much longer. Eight years is not going to be a long time because the older you get, it's a smaller percentage of your life and, and time gets compressed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember talking to my dad about that once. He said, you know, your 20s take a while to go by, your 30s will go by pretty quick compared to your 20s and your 40s. If I was like, pretty soon, it just keeps accelerating, like the amount of time. Um, how quickly time passes for you. It's kind of logarithmic in a bad way. Yeah, not in the best way. <laughs> it just like, happened. It just goes by quicker. And well, I-, I also think that's because you're, like, you're working. Like, here's, here's the thing that I say to that. When, you're on, when you go on vacation and you're away for two weeks, that two weeks seems like a year because you're there and you're living in the moment and you're kind of experiencing every moment. But when you're working because you're just kind of a, a kind of blind automatron, just keeping on going. That's why the time ticks by so quickly because there's nothing to really hang on to that much, which is the problem with not doing a job that you really love and that's the same as being on holiday. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's also the issue of when you're in a routine versus when you're not. So when you're in a routine, when you're doing the same thing day in and day out, it tends to kind of blend in like a month will go by and you're like, so what did you do this month? You're like, wow, I can't, it's hard to even remember, right? It was because it just kind of blends. Yeah, I coded right? every day. Yeah, I coded. I mean, you, 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 you know, the thing is that your life can be really enjoyable. It's just that there wasn't anything that stood out that, so that it, it blends in so it seems like a shorter period of time. Whereas if you go on vacation or you do stuff that's different, I mean, even sometimes on a weekend, if you have like people in out of town or you're just doing a bunch of different stuff, you're like, man, that weekend seemed like two weeks because we did this and we did this other stuff and mm-hmm. all these things you don't normally do. Yeah. And so what's kind of interesting about that is that if you're always doing new and different stuff, it makes life richer and, and, and seem like it lasts longer because so much more happened. But the problem is, in order to accomplish anything, you have to be in a routine almost because the routine was, allows you to be efficient, right? I get up, I make progress on this, I, you know, I go to the gym or I read this book or whatever the things that you're doing, you have to make it sort of regular and routine. That's how you build on, you build on things and you, and you pick up, you know, make progress. Mm-hmm. So the sort of a, it's sort of a trade-off between keeping your life interesting and making it rich and making it seem making the most of every day. But there's also it's like, well, if I want to make progress towards these goals, then you got to have some kind of routine. So I don't know. So have you ever seen jimsmarketingblog.com? No, I haven't. Jimsmarketingblog.com. He's a guy in the in, in the UK who basically he's got this great marketing blog and he's kind of marketing from the perspective of small businesses trying to get themselves on the web. Okay. So he's, he's kind of marketing to lawyers, accountants, masseurs, people like that. who want to get themselves on the web. But what's interesting is a lot of the stuff that he's taught, you know, that he talks about is just common sense and it, it, it could, it could apply to, you know, SaaS products as well. And, um, one of the, one of the pages that I thought was interesting, he has, he has this uh, post called something better or more of the same. And uh, talks about how, you know, we, you know how we say, oh, it doesn't really matter whether you're the same as your competitors or whatever. And, right. and that, that is a kind of good perspective. And you can kind of deal with them on price, then the kind of disruption theory model, right? So you deal, them, deal with them on price, you go in with something worse, lower price, and then gradually get better. 
But he does make a very strong case for, well, if you build something really great, then price isn't even the metric that you're dealing with. You know, if you build something really great, then people will want to spend extra to be on your product versus cheaper on someone else's. Well, which is kind of like Apple to some degree. Yeah, pretty I much. I mean, there's that. a certain amount yeah. of, in a, I guess, a certain amount of, I can't, I can't remember the terminology, elasticity or inelasticity to um, people's willingness to, to spend on something. I should have Phil on the show. He would <laughs> talk a lot about inelasticity and elasticities. Uh, but uh, anyway, the, yeah, the point is, right, yeah, if you build something that's, that's not a commodity, that can't be easily compared with other things, um, then you're uh, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's not so much of like, well, here here's what I'm comparing it against. It's in its own. It's in a league of its own. I kind of feel like that's there's a certain level of insurance if you do that correctly. Do you know what I mean? Because if if you're really just competing on price, that is that's a kind of a weak position to be in. Yeah, well, if, if, as much as possible, I think you don't want to get in a, uh, I guess they call that red ocean versus blue ocean strategy. Right. If, well, if, no, I, th- I thought blue ocean was just where you were doing something where you weren't in competition. Like well, it's you, a so this, this thing. is in competition. You are in competition, but you're, you're, you're kind of saying, but you know what? I, my product's so high quality that I'm not in competition in the same way as you other guys. I think it, you could almost make it. Uh, you could say it's the same thing, right? If you're different because your 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 product is orthogonal in some way to these other products, but it also could be orthogonal just in the sense that its quality is so much better. You should not really comparing it. Like people who are buying Maseratis are not comparing it against a, you know a Mazda. Yeah, you know it's just exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're both cars, but it's just you're not in comparison. It's just not. It's not the same type of people. People aren't buying it for the same reason. You don't buy a Maserati because you just want something that's a good car that's going to get you around. You're buying a Maserati because you want a Maserati. But that's still a huge jump. I mean, if we like, let's talk about Plugio versus Hootsuite, right? Okay. Like, I, I don't think I could build Plugio to a point where it was a Maserati versus a Mazda. You know, like so. Th- there's there's still well, wait, has- a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First of all. Um, how many hours a week are you been working on Plugio in the last year to really push on it to make it awesome? Very little, Ooh. right? Yeah, very little. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not yeah. trying to attack you. I'm just saying. I think there's yeah. a. You already just to do what it does. You put in a, a fair amount of time for the first couple months, and then you've spent some time smoothing things out and cleaning things up. Um, over you know since the first you know whatever two or three months of initial development, but you really haven't even tried to make it into a a super powerful product. You just made it a simple, clean things. And the people who use it really, really like it. So, Well, since you know, December, I've been doing work on it, though. Yeah, I've, but, I've kind of gotten back into it. I've certainly done marketing, you? and I've released a few other things. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, but, I mean, otherwise, I wouldn't be mar- seeing any growth. But mostly, it's marketing. It's not the product, right? And we're talking uh, yeah, about m- the product. Mostly. Just so, started working on the product. So if you went in and really decided that you were just going to blow it out, you're going to say, I'm going to make the product itself do all these other new powerful things, move it into new areas. Um, I mean, you could do it. I mean, you're, you're an experienced, you're uh, efficient coder. You could, you, you have a good sense of product design. I think you could do some pretty amazing things if you decided that's what you want to do. Well, because remember Nosby, right? Uh, yeah. Michael mm-hmm. said in, in the show, he was talking about the, the plateaus of the revenue that it made. Yep. And one of the things he said was if he introduced a new feature that was really hot, it created a new plateau for the revenue. Which is interesting. Well, it's the same thing that Joel Spolsky said about five bucks. He's like, you know, because he, he was trying to refute the whole um, 37 singles mantra of keep it simple, like simple yeah. as a feature. And he's like, yeah, 
I mean, I think I think elegance and simplicity, ease of use is a feature, but what his point was like every time they added features to Fogbugs, Fogbugs, they increased the revenue every time. And so it's just like, there's no truth. It's it that's what frustrates me about about it. There is no truth. It's every single thing is true. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I I I I just what I would say is this: it's not cut dry. It's that there there are subtleties and nuances to everything, and yeah. some things are more true than other things in certain contexts. It's just not super simple. But I think what you could say about Plugio, I, I see here. Here's the thing: I think the 37 Signals approach was an interesting tact. Like they zigged when everybody else zagged, so they stood out. They were kind of like what Seth Godin would refer to as a purple cow. Mm-hmm. Right? They said, all right, we're going to make this thing super simple to use. We're gonna and they were the first to add some really cool um, Ajax effects and did some neat things, and, and people appreciated that. But the simplicity thing has been kind of playing out. Like everybody, I mean, how many times are you going to hear the term dead simple? It's dead simple, right? So everybody's dead simple now, so it's not so much of an interesting thing to say that we have this web app that's easy to use. Um, I think that you could come up with other ways of standing out from the crowd, um, but I think ultimately Joel Spolsky is right um, that if you add more features, uh, add more power, more capability, without making, without making the user interface more complicated, um, you're going to ultimately increase your revenue. Yeah, I think it, it, I mean, it really does. It's also for courses. It depends on the product and and the marketplace. Like I can see how 37 signals, you know, simple product manage, uh, like product management tool, just real simple, just enter tickets and, and do it that way. I can see that. But for something like a Twitter productivity tool, I mean, the name of the game is functional utility and just being able to ease as many pain points as possible when dealing with your social media campaigns. So I, to me, it, simplicity isn't the answer there, I don't think. I think it's more of the Joel Spolsky route. I think so. I, I think, I think you know, Plug.io is easy to use. And I think as long as you keep an eye on make, keeping the interva- interface, uh, keeping the user interface easy to use and simple, you, you know, you're going to be fine. I just keep adding power to it. I think you mm-hmm. got, you know, it's not a convoluted, complicated interface. You're not even close. It's not even close to being that. You have tons, mm-hmm. you have a lot more room right now to add features before you have to start thinking about refactoring the interface to account for all this added complexity. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's, you know, just like Michael Slowinski of Nosby, you know, talked about, you know, every time you add a new feature, you're going to give um, people a reason to talk about it, blogs, a reason to write about it, and new customers, uh, new potential users have a reason to check it out. So, Okay, so t- tell me something. Do you have any frustrations about App Ignite? Sure. Okay, sure. What, are your, what are your frustrations well, right uh, now? Before we get to that, I was going to ask you something. I want to, I want to just talk about the, um, your, uh, your, the, the revenue growth, because you sent me a okay. thing, but you didn't mention it, I'm, so I don't know if anyone knows. But your growth has been what? It looks like it's growing about 15 to 20% a month. Yeah, well, so, I mean, back in December, uh, that's that's the baseline that we're using. Then January, 12%, Feb- February, 14%, March, 28%. But March is an outlier because it, it basically combines February and March because I, t- I turned from the 30-day to the 14-day. Um, okay. So some people who signed up in March also converted in March. And it looks like this, is gonna, this month is going to be somewhere around the 20% growth. Uh, no, 13%. But that's so far. It's only twenty four or five days through the month, right? Yeah, I'm. I I I think that that's thirteen percent growth for the first twenty five days of this month. I think it's going to oh, stick okay. around there. Yeah. So basically, um, I'm. I've also got like a projection of what I think the end of the month is going to be. 
Mm-hmm. Ba- uh, and I'm just taking that based on last month from this point forward. How many sales did I did I get? And I just add that onto how many sales I've had this month. So I'm probably going to end up making seventeen hundred this month. Oh, that's good. I think you're making that's great progress. Okay, so to answer your question, do I have any frustrations with Epic Night? Yeah, yeah, shoot. Sure. Well, you know, I'm obviously very frustrated it's not released, you know. <laughs> that's very frustrating. Um, don't even, you know, it's like um so here I guess I should just give an update on on everything about it. Um Why, so, let, let's let's just get into the one one thing. Why isn't it released? Um because it's it's just uh let's see why isn't it released i it, first of all the user interface there are certain things that it just uh isn't clear enough it doesn't do well enough for people that it, it's just too hard to understand i think to get where you needed to go with it is that because what you need the wizards or is it something else probably, about the probably probably that it probably needs wizards it probably needs videos it probably just needs some time so for instance i can drive it and i can create a lot of stuff with it but Someone, you know, a new user might not, would have a tough time maybe at this point. Because, I mean, I've shown a few people who said they were going to use it, but they haven't done anything with it. So that's a sign that it's not really. Do you enjoy yet. writing documentation? I don't know if I've ever written much documentation. So I probably have to say, I don't know, to probably not. <laughs> because cause here's the thing. It, when you write when you write blog posts, you, you're a big perfectionist about it. And you take, you can take, you know, four hours per blog post. So with with the site to kind of get that up and running, you're going to need to do a whole bunch of stuff like that. I'm thinking you should do videos. I'm why I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, screencast videos. Absolutely. That's, that's my plan and minimal writing and, and mostly just use videos because I think I've seen that you did a good job with that. I, I've seen some other examples of why that works better than, you know, reading. I'd rather watch a video, a screencast. Yeah. It's easier to explain if you see someone actually you see their mouse moving around and pointing and clicking on things and making stuff happen. It is someone trying to describe it. Okay, well, then you go find this menu button. You're like, okay, now what button do I click? You know, it's just... Well, I'll tell you something that particularly worked about the Plugio videos was that... on uh, that, Okay, well, a couple of things. They're always on the screen all the time uh, on the right-hand side. Some, some Very few people complain about that, but, you know, as in maybe three people have complained about that. But everyone else has just said how great that is. But also... It says how long they are, and there isn't one single video that's longer than... Basically, of all of them, 99% of them are less than two minutes, and it says right. it. So they know that when they click it, it's going to be a really short watch. Really fine-grained. Well, it's just, gonna, it's just sort of answering one question. Yeah, exactly. Answering one question. Which is interesting. That's kind of the suggestion I've given you on your blog post, which is like fight one battle. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're fighting one battle at a time. Yeah. Um, and you're keeping that allows you to keep it clear and concise and um, just digestible. You know, if, if I look at a video and it's like 12 minutes, I'm like, ah, oh, screw it. <laughs> well, well, because people can discover it in their own order, because, for example, you may get someone coming to use Epic Night, right? And they'll be incredibly familiar with it, with MVC and, and, pat, and that kind of whole pattern thing. So they don't need to get into that. They just want to know, you know, how do I add something? You know, how do I add a new model? Or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's like a choose your own journey. I mean, you know, in the stories that you can like, yeah, yeah, make a choice, exactly. choose your own story or choose your own path to the, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. And I, I think that would be really, really good if you could do something like that. Although I'm guessing you would need a lot more videos than I have on the side of plug here. Yeah. When you start with somewhere, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I could just start, you know, with five or so and build from there. So here's a couple of things I've been thinking about lately. Um, in terms of Epic Night, um, the first thing is I got a, uh, a client project in, which uh, is perfect for Epic Night. It's ideal. 
um, because not only is it a standard sort of web application, mm-hmm. um, it's, but it's a fairly complicated one in the sense that it's going to stretch AppIgnite, and then I'm going to have to add some new features. There's like four or five new, you know, I don't know, significant features that I'm going to have to add to AppIgnite to make it work, but just as fine, which is fine because essentially I'm getting paid to build work on AppIgnite, mm-hmm. right? And so one of them is search because I hadn't done, I hadn't built in search yet. Um, another is having multiple user types. So like, uh, for instance, um, let's say you go to guru.com or those things where you have like, you know, or like any other job site where you have employers and, um, you know, people, job seekers. Yeah. Those, each of those types of people have different things that they can do and different types of views that they would look at. Right. Okay. So roles and views, basically. Yeah. Basically roles and view, you know, and views and, and behaviors attached to specific roles beyond just whether you're an administrator or registered user. That's one. Another, uh, two other ones that I had, uh, or one was um, being able to um, do uh, like ratings, like Amazon with reviews. Mm. And uh, what was another one? Another one was favorites, being able to like an Ajax kind of favorite. Like this is, and like you just click a button and it makes it a favorite. Right? Because that's not a standard like CRUD behavior, not like submitting a form. You have to, you have to sort of integrate some Ajax kind of stuff. Um, and Guy and I had already integrated uh, or implemented like voting. So, you know, kind of like a hacker news or something like that. Um, so, so it's, that's very, that's very similar. Um, and, and so those four things, I think there's like one or one other thing I can't really remember, but, um, oh yeah, that w- it was, um, being able to do partials, like lists displayed within, um, sort of headers and footers. So for instance, on a sidebar, you might say a list of, uh, tags or categories or recent comments or something, depending on what your object models are. Right. Um, so but all those, all those five things are like right in line with like what I would need to add to AppIgnite to make it so that you could create a, a, a serious commercial level application, right? Um, and, can, I, can I ask yeah. a question? Sure. You, you said that some people had access to AppIgnite, but they weren't using it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, yeah, I demoed it. Lance Jones, we had on the show a while ago, said he wanted to, he had an idea of a project he wanted to build, and he said he was going to, and I gave him a demo app Ignite, and um, he, uh, I never heard back from him. I, th- I don't know if he just didn't. When you said you gave him a demo, you mean you showed him a screenshot? You showed him a screencast, or you gave him login I, so he could go we, and play I with sh- it? I used, uh, yeah, first I shared, I shared uh, my desktop with uh, Skype, yeah. and I walked him through it. And I did the same thing with uh, two other people, people one was uh ruben Ruben, but he was he never um he was just going to demo it for the company but yeah so maybe it's like four total and nobody's really gotten back to me say hey i tried to build this or here's something i experimented with check it out so they had a user and a login to get in and play around with it Mm -hmm. but didn't really do anything so you know i think that that shows me that it's either it's not ready in sense it can't in terms of it can't build what they need to build or they can't understand how to build what they want to build. I've got an interesting idea that I'd like to present to you, sure. which you're probably not going to like, but I want to present it to you anyway. Okay. What about if you released AppIgnite purely to start off with as a user? So basically just, just the user registration. If you release that and then basically started building the marketing site and started getting it out there so that some of our listeners could start building stuff which would integrate, which would use the user registration as an integration point. Because that's always going to be useful no matter what. I'm, they could I'm, I'm a little confused. What do you, what do you, I don't quite understand what you mean. Well, so 
basically, it's going to have an API, isn't it? Sure. Epic Night's going to have an API. Well, right? Epic Night itself, Epic Night proper, I mean, it doesn't have one. I will probably add one at some point, but yeah. Well, but that, that I mean, that's going to be probably be pretty important that it has an API, right? So, mm-hmm. so imagine if you built Epic Night and you released just, you just released the user registration side of Epic Night with an API that worked. So that way people could build whatever they wanted, a website, but rather than do user management through their own framework or whatever, they were going through the Epic Night API. And they had an Epic Night account and they started getting users into their app. And then right. people would, st- I guess people would start using Epic Night a little bit. And then you could maybe add like one thing on at a time that they could then start using. And as long as you added each one with an API, I guess then it's turning into Mash API. <laughs> No, well, that's, I don't know. Look, that's that's not a bad idea. I mean, I was thinking about some things like that. Because one of the things that I want to do is not, not necessarily for, I wasn't necessarily thinking in terms of Epic Night proper, but in terms of a generated application that, you know, because we're getting into the, um, we're getting into the realm of generating an API and generating the client side uh, JavaScript API so that, mm-hmm. um, because just for voting and favoriting and, and ranking rating and stuff like that. But it, it isn't a big jump before you start being able to like, do like uh, sort of in situ editing of fields and making sort of Ajax forms as opposed to, you know, having to edit form and bring edit every field, um, together. So then you have like a full fledged API. So I was thinking, you know, in some sense it might be to roll out just the ability to generate a, an, an API with a, an, an API client, and then they could use that. Yeah, I mean, there's because uh, what I've been thinking about Epic Night is, it to me, it's, it doesn't make sense that there isn't some way that you could sub-split it up and release a small portion of it to begin with. You could either, you could, okay, you could either release, just to start off with, something like a form builder, like a Wufu, mm-hmm. or you could release something just like a, U, basically, that you could use Epic Night as the back end for your user registration. Just just something to start getting you into the marketing so that you had a marketing site, so that you had people starting to tinker with it, because you, you, all of your focus is on the building of it, and yeah, none no, of the folk... I- I know, I know, and I, and I understand that. I understand that's a, that problem too. I mean, you know, the building is only one small piece of it. You get to the marketing and the... So here's, an, here's another thing I've been thinking about lately, which is rather than focusing, at least initially, on making money with Appignite, use it to generate a bunch of applications that they themselves are money generating applications right so i made a list of you know over i've I've been making working on a list of applications that i want to be able to build you know um using epic night mm-hmm. well what i could do is make a list of variations on those things not clone an application but build like okay i want to compete in this category right like let's say that i want to compete against a user voice and get satisfaction Mm-hmm. You know, just as an example, or I wanted to create my own project management app, um, or any anything, and in 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 the, and, and without the idea that this application by itself is going to be a world beater, it's going to make a million dollars. Like, hey, let's try and get something. Let's use it not only as a demonstration of what App Ignite can do, but f- but it it will force um, force us, or Guyon and I, to build an app to to get App App Ignite to the point where it can generate an application that's commercial level. It will then serve as a demonstration that, oh, and by the way, we can write blog posts about how we created it and how we used Appignite for it, which will then generate more interest in Appignite as it goes along. But then the other thing is that can itself be making money, right? And, um, you know, I have, a, I have a list of a ton of ideas that would be, that could make money that, you know, and really are 
a tenth to, or actually maybe a hundredth of the amount of work that App Ignite is. I mean, they're much simpler applications. I mean, a lot of these applications that you see make money, they're not that complicated compared, compared to App Ignite, not even close. And it might be easier to just do that in terms of making money. And then you had like five or 10 apps within a year, each making, you know, $1,000 or something. Okay, so if you, if you have, okay, so what I'm going to say about that is if you have 10 apps making $1,000 each at the end of a year, that will be astonishing and amazing. Given, given the pretty, you know, hands-on experience that we've had about how long it takes to grow one single business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look at Plugio or Bingo or Class Creator. How, how, how long did it take you to get Plugio to making $500 a month? So Plugio, so here, here's the thing. Plugio is a good, a good kind of example because we can, we can look at that and extrapolate how long it may take you to make money with one of those things. So I initially built it for three, for three months and then it took maybe another two months to get to a point of like 500 bucks. So you can essentially skip out that first three months and then get to the point of, of 500 bucks as long as you had a good app that had utility that people wanted to pay for. But then what you, what you should probably do rather than building a whole bunch of other apps is probably just maybe choose two and just market them. Cause at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. It's about marketing. <laughs> you, so basically you build those apps and you won't really be growing app ignite that much. You'll just be marketing those businesses for yeah, a year. One thing, one thing I was thinking about is partnering up with people. So like maybe going on, on a startup guild mm-hmm. and trying to find people who might want to partner up and, um, and, and work on an application. Say, here, here are some ideas I have. If any of these sounds interesting, like something you'd want to work on, so that I could, I could work on App Ignite to, to add the features, to generate the very first version and also add features that we need to generate improvements to the app and custom build anything that needs to be custom built that I really know how to do. Um, and then, um, you know, maybe just team up with people who are more on the business side, who want to market it and do customer development, do all that kind of stuff. But as we know, most people are like us and most people on, on Startup Guild are like us and they don't have the business and marketing experience. There are a few, but most of them aren't. I mean, I'm not saying you can't find them, but... Yeah, well, I mean, usually it usually seems like the business and marketing people have a harder time finding tech people than the other way around. Interesting. Well, if, so, you, if you can do... I mean, if you could do that, that could be pretty good. Um, but I wouldn't... Like, well, see, remember, here's the thing. Here, remember here's the don't th- underestimate each business. Like, building 10 businesses, to me, sounds like... I know it's just a number that you just threw out, but if you're even just thinking that way, I don't think that's the right way to think. Well, I don't know. Wait, because here's the thing. Okay, I, 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 I see your point, right? There are a lot of work, but if they're relatively simple apps and you say, okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to outsource the design, use 99 designs or even partner up with the designers. Maybe like get a, yeah. get a designer and say, here, here's what I want to do. I want to create a portfolio of applications, right? Here are, you know, 10 or 20 that I have ideas for. Let's start with the first three. Well, the, okay. da, the and da, Damien on Startup Guild could do that. The Madre, the Madre, the Madre, the Madre. Yeah, um, because because he's that's the offer that he makes on his um, on his website. He says, "I'll do, I'll design for a bit of equity in your company." Yeah, so th- I'm thinking in terms of just because we like we were talking to Ruben, he's like, once you start outsourcing pieces, you you get more in the business mind. You quit trying to sort of. Um, you get you don't get too caught up in the tech and the, and, and you get you think of it more of as a business, which is what yeah. is done with BidSketch. And it kind of reminds me of uh, a friend of mine who's a screenwriter, and he's like, you know, he's like some screenplays you just you you, you like make love to, right? You're like, oh, this is this is my opus, you know, this is the one that's going to, you know, that is going to be my huge movie, 
right? You mm-hmm. love it. It's just you're, you, you are attached to it. Like you have to be the, the director of it and everything. He's like, there's others that you just write to make some money. Like, you know, you just write it, you know, you get it out there, it gets, you know, maybe it gets optioned off, you make some money, you sell, you, you, you're building them to sell, to keep your, to keep you in the game. Because if you don't sell anything, you can't make a living. You can't focus on your writing because you have to get another job. And in a sense, it'd be like, okay, Epic Night is the project I'm making love to, right? It's like, it's the, it's a really important to me. It's something that I, that I have a huge vision for that I want to commit to, but maybe by, spawning off these smaller projects that I don't have this emotional connection to or nearly as deep of a connection to that I can say, okay, look, the design has, can be okay. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? I'll outsource it. We pay, you know, or, 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 or if it's a decent design, I'm willing to give away equity into it because it's not like this is what I'm spending 10 years of my life on. I don't mind giving, you know, pieces of it off to someone who's going to do marketing and someone's going to design and someone who's going to do some other stuff because you know what? I got five other that I'm going to do. No big deal, Right. Why would you dilute it? Why would you, for, for the first one that you did, why would you dilute it down to anything beyond one? Why would I get more people involved? No, why would you do more than one thing? Why would you have more than one business that you it, started? It kind of reminds me of, well, because it's, it's like, it's like in, in, in finance, right? Like the, 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 the only sort of um, free lunch in finance is diversification. So if you buy, you know, 10 stocks, you're much... You're, you're, you have a much better risk profile than if you have one. Because if anything can happen at one stock, you won't put all yeah. your money into one stock, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but, but that, that's kind of counterintuitive because buying 10 stock, you don't put any time into each of those stock, whether it grows or whether it doesn't. Whereas this, you're basically diluting all of the, all of your, the value that you can put into it, which is your time. You're diluting it between 10. So, so you've, you've got an inverse equation going on there. You're diluting okay. 10 baskets, you, you know, one piece of time here's into 10 think- baskets. Well, here's what I'm thinking, right? It's like, I, I'm, I'm working, uh, it'll force me to work on App Ignite to generate features that can work across all of them, right? So if I have five applications, and it's like, okay, all of them need to have uh, OAuth, right? Or Twitter login, you know, Twitter and Facebook login. I'm going to build that into App Ignite, regenerate, they'll have it, boom, right? They all, you know, we need some kind of new uh, API throttling, you know, code. Boom, just, just kind of start, and I can work at a higher level and it generates it for everything. And, and that, what I'm just saying is that if, if, I can, if, if I do five as opposed to one, it'll force me to not try to do it by myself because there's no way in hell I'm going to do all five by myself. But if, I could, if, it could, if it could force me to let go a little bit, just as we were talking with Ruben, let go and get other people involved and trust that some of these people will do a good job and also know that one or two of them might just fall apart because the people involved with just really are dropping the ball and be like, okay with that because, you know, I can just generate other applications and other ideas. Okay. So kind of, kind of a portfolio of applications approach. And because, you know, that's another thing I've been struggling with, which is we've talked about is, is letting go, right? Not, not being, because I, I know because as a perfectionist, I'm a control freak. I want to do everything the right way, but you know, there's to say the, the great is the enemy of the good, you know, it's right. sometimes you just need to get something good enough, get it out there, start making some money and not just trying to make everything perfect. So it's just an idea I had is like, maybe, maybe doing that might be a faster way to making um, revenue is having, building some simpler applications that have utility that are easier to support because they're relatively simple applications. So the customer support is much lower than app. Could you, much could you start with one and then move to five? Yeah, I mean, I could do one as a test example and say, okay, we'll yeah. do one as a, a yeah. proto. Let's try to get one, like maybe 
um, would you go whoever the guy you're talking about, Madre or whatever, get him yeah. involved and maybe get someone else involved who wants to do maybe help out with marketing and SEO. Cause I'm, I'm like, just thinking uh, like baby steps, right? Like just to, to take on five separate businesses on top of App Ignite, on top of consultancy, on top of three kids and a wife to me, <laughs> to me sounds like it just it does. It doesn't make sense. Sounds like too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You should I've do heard. one thing like pick, Pick the business that you think is most likely to succeed and focus in on that. Get all the different pieces and then see what it's like to work with a designer, see what it's like to work with a business guy, and then essentially create a, create a plan. And then once you've – it's because essentially what you're doing is you're creating a franchise for yourself, right? It's like you're creating your own little McDonald's franchise, right? So if you just start – one, I mean, McDonald's didn't start with five businesses. They started with one. Get one. Maybe that's, and they got that's it successful, and then they went sideways. Well, you know, I, I, you know, one a good example of it is um, Idea Lab. Have you heard of Idea Lab? Do you know Idea? Lab? Yeah, Bill Bill Gross's Idea Lab. Yeah, right. So Idea Lab is like a mile away from where I live in Pasadena, in old Pasadena, and they Idea Lab um, was sort of an incubator for Bill Gross's ideas. And he, he created a whole slew of internet startups in the late 90s, things like City Search and Overture and, um, I don't know, Wedding.com. And, I mean, just a ton of, 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 of sites that really, you know, some, a lot of them went public, a lot of them were sold. Um, but they don't do web stuff anymore. They do more of like alternative energy um, things on robot stuff. So, but I always thought that was such a cool model. I mean, there's, there's the Y Combinator approach, which is like, you know, fund other people's ideas and get teams. But I still like the idea of like, I would love to be able to have a bunch of different things. Well, how much time and money did Bill Gross have? Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I know what you're saying. A <laughs> hundred million, right? Get, yeah. get your, get your first kind of decent chunk of revenue coming through the door. I mean, Hey, listen, like, this isn't anything that you haven't said to me, get your first decent chunk of revenue so that you, so that you then have the time to, to, to tinker around and play around. And you, yeah. I think you're more likely to do that through focus than through diversification in this particular instance when you start. It might be true, but I, what I would like to do is ultimately get there is what I'm saying. Yeah. That is ultimately what I would love to do. I would love okay. to have a bunch of things going at the same time, working with a bunch of people. Um, that would be very cool. And, and, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's just start with one thing at a time. Rather than just creating a demo app, like actually create a cool application that people will pay for. Like the one that business, I... Yeah. Like the one that I liked a lot, which Appignite is really close to me able to generate now, is... When uh, uh, the um, the little, uh, I guess it was 37 Signals created something called Iterations. Yeah. Which allowed, it was like an internal uh, tool that they use that allowed people to suggest features and who wants to work on them and that kind of sort of this agile type of approach. Right. And I was like, you know what? But it's not public. Nobody can use it. You know, it's just something built for themselves. I'm like, screw it. I'll I was going to build it as a, as a demo app. But I'm like, you know, why would I build a demo app? Why don't I just build as a real application and uh, charge for it? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, that's pretty in competition with what I'm working on with Sebastian. But, I mean, if you want to do that, go for it. Well, I've been talking about doing this since, since iterations came out, right? So, um, what, about, what about any foo? No, no, but you do. I'm, I'm going to do that one, Justin, right? I've been talking about this for four months or five months. Oh, I, I don't have a problem with you doing it. Right? Because <laughs> I'm just saying, right? I mean, the thing is that it's a huge world out. It doesn't matter anyway. But, yeah. but you do remember me talking about doing that, right? Absolutely. I remember you. I remember you talking. But about I thought it. you guys were doing something completely different. You were doing like an idea thing. Well, it it is. It's basically idea idea to completion thing. So it's like a way. It's it's a tool to kind of um, manage ideas and then help you kind of execute them and plan them. That's a little different though than iterations. Iterations is a little simpler than that. I think what okay. you're doing is a little more 
sophisticated iterations is just like you know you vote on features and all right all right i want to work on it or not or i like it and some comments what do you think about that like do you think that that's scalable to a large company i mean basically a scenario where people say i like it i want to work on it i don't know i mean it probably works in smaller mid-sized companies but you're not you're not selling to large companies anyway because I was, I just, it's something that, that I was talking about with Sebastian, and I can't imagine a large company kind of wanting to use a system where the, people basically stuck their hands up and said, I want to do this piece of work. It's, yeah, cause I, well, large, I've never worked in a big company, so I don't know for, from first-hand experience how they work, but I would guess that that's probably not how they work. <laughs> so you're Well, right. normally they delegate, right? Yeah, so I, I don't... Yeah, it probably wouldn't be an enterprise... You would, probably wouldn't have enterprise clients, but you could have smaller, smaller businesses, maybe. So would you, I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, that's, that's a good app. Um, but what about the AnyFoo? I think AnyFoo is, uh, is pretty cool. I don't love it, but I, I, like ever since the beginning, I, I never loved the idea. I always thought it was uh, okay. What other money-making ideas you got? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to search through my list. But uh, why don't we switch uh, switch? Um, gears here because I got some other stuff I want to co- cover. Okay, one was um, we got a pod. Uh, I'm sorry, we got a, an email um, earlier in the week about uh, I think it was asking both of us how how to get freelance work, right? Yeah. And um, so let's let's why don't we answer some of those questions. He's like, how do I get into freelance consulting? What was the first project you worked on, and how did it get? And how did it go kind of thing. And he's, he's basically saying, you know, like, you know, he knows like web stuff and, you know, whatever. But so the question is, how do you get started in freelance work? Like, how do you, how do you get clients? And I have an idea for a blog post, which is related to something I've said before. And I think I, I think I came up with a, a good title for it called the unauthorized formula for becoming an authority on the web <laughs> and, or hacking your way to, to freelance, getting freelance clients or something like that. Yeah. And the, the deal is, okay, the first thing you want to do is just tell everybody you know that you're doing freelance work, right? And that means people you meet in random situations because I've gotten a lot of, I've gotten a lot of potential clients and I've actually gotten some real clients from people I've met just in random situations like talking to them in the park when our kids are playing, you know? Do you hand them out cards? No, no. I, I don't have well, how, cards. How do they get in touch with you? I'll just say, usually what'll happen, if someone's really interested, we'll find a pen and a paper, right? Someone say, okay, well, here, give me your email or something like that. If people are really excited. If, hmm. And I met, you know, this, I, I, it's just happened to me over and over again. And, and, and obviously, the, I'm comfortable talking and I'm, I, and, I'm, oh, and I'm comfortable talking to people who I, who I haven't met before. <laughs> so that works for me that I just talk, wherever I go, I get into conversations with people. And I inevitably, if it's a, if it's a long conversation, um, there's a good chance I'll talk about what I do. And if, if people are, are remotely in, anywhere near in the, being in the market if, to needing to find a, uh, a developer, they're going to be like, oh, you, you, you write code? You know, and, and well, so then, you are your own marketing machine. That helps. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a big scalable thing, but it works for me. Now, and, and so I would tell anyone who's trying to get into freelancing that that's what you want to do is email everyone you know, maybe send emails periodically to people who, you, who you've met, um, you know, really trying to build up a Rolodex of, of, of um, you know, kind of go through your contacts and try and find anyone and everyone who you think might be or might know of anyone who might be a client. So that's just the first thing to do. That's the easy thing to do. But that, the chances that that's going to pay off on day one is, is not big, but you might get some stuff over time. 
The second thing, of course, which I think a lot of people have tried, and I've heard people write about trying and works pretty well, is going on places like Craigslist or Guru.com or Elance and and actually doing a really good job responding to some of the um, the proposals. And um, if you do that every day and respond to a handful, I have a feeling that'll work for you eventually. I mean, you had some, you you got started doing that, right? Yeah. Like- well, when I first moved over to America, um, I mean, that I've got freelance work in other ways before in in Europe, but when I first moved over to America. I just basically responded and did a number of, I don't know, $300 projects, just, just small projects. Because when someone works with you and if you're just really good, that there, there is this one thing where it is kind of difficult to find a good coder who's easy to work with. It, it, just because, uh, I don't know if I'm being too generous, but a lot of coders just kind of, I don't know, difficult to get on with. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you're just kind of, you know, chatty and easy to work with, then get get them hooked on like a $300 project and then they see how good you are and how good you did on the project and then they're like hey I've got other work for you and ju- just make sure you pick someone who looks like they they've got deeper pockets and they're going to have some other work you know yeah yeah exactly and what can happen too is if you st- you can always um raise your rates for for further projects so maybe you're you're charging a lower rate on someplace like Elance just to get some work and and if they come back to you and say hey we got another project for you say listen you know I was just doing you know some Elance projects at a low rate just to kind of you know experiment but my my you know real rate is a little higher especially if you get other clients that are paying at a higher rate and you can kind of ratchet it up right and if mm-hmm. they if you if, if you've already proven to them that you're reliable and efficient and competent you know whether you pay whether they pay twenty dollars an hour fifty dollars an hour seventy five dollars an hour it might not make the much, much of a difference especially if you're really good and, and, and can just have done done quickly right I mean they'd mm-hmm. rather pay you seventy five dollars an hour and have you do it in ten hours and pay someone twenty dollars an hour and have them get it done in two hundred hours or whatever so um, you know I, I think that um, that's another way to to kind of try and you know scrounge up some work but I think the the key way so let's say that. Uh, and this is what my blog post is going to focus on. On I already, I've started working on it, but I need to put a little more time on it. But so it's almost like you're rehearsing your blog post. Right uh, no, I don't know about that. But you know, um, yeah, okay. So this is sort of like a dry run. But essentially, mm-hmm. this. Um, if, let's say that you want to, you get a freelancer, but let's say you also want to get, you want to do freelance work in a particular area, right? And let's okay. say that you're particularly interested in doing Node.js work to pick a, to pick a technology out of the hat. Could be anything. Um, my suggestion would be to pick a technology that's a newer technology that's harder to find people who are experts in, right? That isn't an older technology. So Node.js is a good example because it's, it's new and there aren't a lot of people with a lot of experience doing it yet, but it is picking up steam. What you could do is write a series of tutorials on how to do, how to use Node.js, write a five-part series on like a Hello World um, and maybe then go on and do like variations on it, like using Socket.io and Node.js to gr- create some, and Canvas to create like a scribble, you know, like a drawing program or a real-time drawing program. Or maybe you want to like say, or maybe you really want to get a NoSQL and you, using NoSQL and you say, all right, well, I'm going to write a five-part series on how to use um, MongoDB and then maybe true the same thing with like Redis or Tokyo Cabinet or some of these other CouchDB and then you maybe do like one that does a bunch of comparison benchmarks and you, you know, compare and contrast different ways to do it. Well, guess what? If you do that and you write a series of tutorials and maybe write one or two a week and after a few months you have a whole range of tutorials that people that are going to have like an SEO value, right? Which is... You, you know, will get job offers. You will get job offers because here's the deal. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hire... I mean, how do you create... What's the number one sort of benchmark for authority? It's like you're the guy who wrote the book, right? 
Like, mm-hmm. would you want to, if, if, if you were, if you had a real uh, MySQL, let's say you had a big scalability problem with MySQL, would you want to hire someone who has a resume that they worked for five years with MySQL? Or would you want to write a guy, uh, would you want to hire the guy who wrote the book called MySQL Scalability? You'd want to uh, hire the guy who wrote the book. <laughs> no, I'd want to hire the guy who spent five years scaling MySQL. Yeah, really? But how, how do you even know what he did? I mean, that's just me personally. So you, 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 like, me. you can't vet that person, right? Everybody writes down, "Oh, if I ever well, it is, C- but their, if their job experience with C plus plus, you know, you can't. Well, even- hold on, was their job scaling my? Was that is, is that their job description scaling my sequel for five years? No, but you know, but I'm saying is, for, for for usually that's not the case. Usually, people will just tell you that they okay. did stuff, but there's no way of vetting them, right? right? Right. But if some guy actually published an O'Reilly book on on creating massively scalable databases. I mean, that's, that's the authority. Those are the people who are invited to conference to speak on the subject. The way, the way to establish authority is to write a book on a subject. That solidifies your, you know, your expertise, I should say. But obviously, writing a book takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And if you're, just try, if you're working a full-time job and you're trying to work in a free, you know, getting freelance work, then writing a book is going to be the long way around. The, but what you can do is you can write a series of blog posts. Right, you can write five tutorials, and then after you've written five or ten of them on a subject, you could actually spend a little time and actually create a PDF and create a mini ebook if you want. But that's even going even because pro- you're probably going to get all the freelance work you want just out of writing a series of of tutorials. Like, well, hasn't, hasn't two of your friends you've given this advice to, and they've done exactly that, and they've ended up on the front page of Hacker News, and they've had a whole bunch of job offerings. Yeah, exactly. So I'm mean, I'm actually put that in the blog post too. Is that um, a friend of mine who is an expert in high frequency trading wrote a series of blog posts on high frequency trading. Um, you know, after I convinced, I had about two or three <laughs> conversations where I'm like, listen, you have to do it. This is what you need to write about. This is why it's going to work. And eventually he got around to doing it and, and uh, he got job offers from all the top firms around the country. They're all calling him and trying to meet with him. And he ends up accepting a job with his top notch firm <laughs> right where he wanted to work in San Francisco. I mean, and you know, now the blog he took down because he didn't need it anymore, but it was like, it was amazing. It worked. It was like magic. Awesome. It was like magic. And, you know, I'm really happy for him because he, he was working in a job that was fine, but it really wasn't. He wanted to get back in the high frequency trading game. And, uh, and he was, he had, first time he had tried to find um, a job in that area after his firm went down was through recruiters. And it was like this painful, kind of semi painful, ineffective experience. And so eventually he just got, you know, took sort of a regular coding job. But anyway, it worked. It worked like a charm. And of course, if some of your tutorials hit the front page of Hacker News and you say, at the bottom of your blog post, you know, by the way, I'm, look, I'm, I'm available for, uh, you know, freelance consulting work, you know, developing this kind of stuff. People are going to contact you. You know, people, people on Hacker News who are trying to hire people who are experts in, in all these technologies. And if, they, if, if, you, if you're writing tutorials on that subject and they see that you're a good communicator and that you understand the technology and are writing, you know, in a way that it's clear that you're actually using this stuff, then they're going to want to talk to you. So one of the other questions that he asks is, um, he says, from what I've read, the main freelance portals, I guess he's talking about Odesk and Elance, seem to be full of foreign workers who can work for a much lower wage than I could probably support myself on. Is it even worth competing there? Or um, basically he's just saying, is it even worth competing there? And that's where I would say, yes, it is worth competing there because there's a lot of people who are looking there who really, really don't want to use um, people who don't speak fluent English, who want to use someone in America and or, or wherever you're based and and they oftentimes when they post the job they will say you know only accepting offers from people within inside my country 
So you can see that. But just plus also, if you quote in, I mean, don't go for the highest quote, don't go for the lowest quote, because usually within Elance, you can kind of get a range of what other people have quoted. So just quote somewhere in the middle and just say, you know, I'm, uh, this is what I do. And I'd, you know, I'd love to talk to you by phone. That's the really best thing to do is to get into a scenario where you can talk to someone by phone, because when you can get to them in that personal scenario, rather than just email, uh, talking through text, then you can really convince them that you're a good person and that you're worth working with. Yeah. And then of course, do a great job, be very yeah, responsive and do a good job. And those people will uh, recommend you to other people or use you for more work. Um, and I think that's a good way to start. I think you can play both games, right? I think you start out by sending out the emails, you know, and, and trying to get work off of, you know, these, uh, Elances and, and Craigslist and things like that are guru.com, but also start doing sort of your personal SEO branding strategy, write tutorials on the subjects in which you want to be considered an expert and write a tutorial a week. And after a few months or six months, you're going to have this huge body of work and you're going to have the SEO effect. And maybe if you're lucky, a few of them hit the front page of Hacker News. And the next, you know, you're invited to a conference to speak on the subject and, and then you can charge big money because what you want to do, just like we were talking about earlier, is you want to be so good that you're not compared with these other people. I mean, you're not going to be compared against people who are charging $10 an hour if you're like an expert on, say, Node.js and uh, NoSQL. Right. But one of the one of the points that I think that you've said, but not explicitly, is you don't need to actually know Node.js when you start on this 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 trip, exactly. because basically you just create it in the order that you learn it. So your first post is "Hello World," and then you learn how to do that, and then you you blog about how to do that, and then you do the next harder thing. So by the end of your sequence of blog posts, essentially you've been teaching yourself how to how to use this language exactly and you don't have to spell it out oh by the way i've never done this before (laughs) but you could say oh you know you can go through this is how you download it this is how you install it and here's some problems that you might run into that i ran into installing it and here's here's how we get started and you just go through it and you can always go back as you learn more you can go back and clean it up and refactor and say wow which i if i'd understood it better rewritten it i would have rewritten it differently but you can rewrite it because it's on the web it's not a book so what what are the best things and the worst things about being a freelancer I'd say the um, the best things are flexibility and money, right? I mean, you make a you make a fair chunk of change. If I mean, I don't even charge a lot. I, I've discovered that I charge hundred dollars an hour, and I'm like real middle tier in terms of my pricing. I mean, I, you know, Pat charges one hundred seventy five dollars an hour and up for Ruby cutting, and he just did a good job of just like he just said, "Look, this is what I charge," and he would do a great job. And then people would come around. And he's like, "Oh, one hundred twenty five dollars an hour, one hundred fifty dollars an hour," and people first were like, "Gulp." I also and, think it's Ruby. I think Ruby has a little bit more pizzazz behind it right now. So I think it'd be easier to get that money in Ruby than in PHP. It would, yeah, that's true. But it would be easier to do it in any newer technology, any hot new technology. So and I would focus on hot new technologies. Those, that's where the demand is going to be. That's where demand is going to outstrip supply. That's where you're not going to have as much competition. It's going to be more fun to do. Um, and, you can, and you're not going to be compared against a list of other people because they're just going to be, they're going to be desperate to find anyone who has any expertise in it. Right. So he's, he, he finishes off his email, says, I've been listening to your show since about episode 50, and you've probably gone over these questions. However, it would be really awesome if you could spend five to 10 minutes discussing this. <laughs> oh, so we've done it. <laughs> and then some. I think we were slightly over five to 10 minutes. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I recommend it. That's, I'm going to write a blog post on it because I, 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 I think it's such an easy thing to do, but I don't really see anybody doing it. And um, I don't know why. I mean, writing is, if, you know five or 10 part tutorial series and stuff would be pretty easy to do. You could just do one a week and uh, you know what's the big deal, but nobody seems to be doing it. Oh, and the other thing too is create, you know, you can commit to some open source projects 
start an open source project on the subject that'll help increase your credibility as well. So, so Jason, I've seen that you've been, uh, you are, you are definitely not a joiner. You do not join. You do not like participating in groups. However, I've seen that you have been contributing to startupguild.net. I have a little bit, you know, and I think part of it is that, um, I know some of the people in it. I mean, I know them in the sense that they're, uh, they're listeners to the show. Right. right? So when I see, um, Ben Boiter or, or I, you know, Michael Rakita or, you know, or, or Philip Manet and, and the others, you know, comment. I'm like, Hey, I know this guys. Like I, I it makes me more interested in, and, um, in contributing because I, because they're real people. They're not yeah. just like some handle on, on like hacker news. Like, I don't know who these people are. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's definitely slowed down startup guild has, hasn't it? Have you noticed that? Well, I think, um, I think a lot of times you get an initial burst of excitement, but what you have to do is you have to continually get people, give people a reason to want to be excited about it and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because people have other things pulling out their time all the time. And have you been putting as much time lately? I, I haven't been putting in as much time, and, but I, I noticed that, that there's less trivial conversation. Like the conversation that's in there now is just basically hardcore. I, I have this difficult problem that I'm trying to solve and people are answering it. So in some senses, there's less stuff going on, but the stuff that's going on has a higher value. That's what it seems to me like. That's true. And I, I, have, a, I have an idea for, uh, for, for SG, yeah. Yeah, for Startup Guild. This is it. Okay. So, you know, when you go to a party or you go to something and everybody's just standing around talking, it's fun for a little while, but then it just gets boring because you're, you're not doing anything. I'm more of a doer than just someone just like to hang out and do nothing. Oh, and are you going to say hackathon? I was going to say hackathon, but I would call it a startup-a-thon. Well, first thing I'd say, I w- we talked about creating a hackathon for app- Yammer apps that would facilitate uh, different types of cool stuff happening on Startup Guild, right? And that one might be the first thing to do. But the second thing is to do a startup-a-thon where it's kind of similar where they've had people who, aspiring writers who want to write books and say, all right, what we're going to do is everybody, we're going to start on this date and everybody's going to commit to writing, you know, a chapter a week, Right. And so everybody together is writing their books. It pulls everyone together. It's like, it's like being, you know, part of like, you know, when you go to the gym and it's like a class and everybody has to go and suffer together. It's a lot easier to go suffer for an hour with everybody else than it is to get yourself to go do it. So you mean like a, uh, like a, a paid for app? Sure. Whatever. So here's a, here's my thinking is that you, you, you can team up with people. Like you can say who, everyone wants to register. Who's looking to te- be part of a two or three person team, like a designer, mm-hmm. coder, um, it may maybe someone who wants to be more of a non-technical person who wants to be part of it. And you can get these teams of two and three and say, what you do is say like, try and get people in groups because it'd be more fun. Like part mm-hmm. of it is like facilitating, uh, you know, the social interaction and learning from other people as opposed to just getting yourself to work on something. And what you could do is, is say, all right, we're going to start in, you know, one week or two weeks. Everybody who's interested, start responding to this and, and maybe we can break off and have their own conversations. Or maybe maybe build a Yammer app that can facilitate people, facilitate people finding um, the other the people they're going to group up with. Right? Kind of like how they do I think, they, I think they can just use it. They can just use it as it is to find the people. Yeah, maybe that's fine. So but anyway, it's just like a hackathon where you just kind of get, ran- or, or you could make it like a hackathon like people get randomly assigned. I mean, you know, I don't know. These are things you could, you could work out, you could figure out. But anyway, you do like, you know, we're going to do it in six weeks, right? And you're going to, you're going to, the milestone one is, you know, basic prototype in, you know, two weeks, you know, uh, MVP in, in four weeks, release to uh, release in six or something. And, and then people will, and you can create a group based on it and you can create, um, you, can, you know, maybe we can, get, we can get like 10 or 20 projects. How do you choose who, who's the win? Like, 
Could it be the first person to earn some cash? We could, like, do, we could, we could do a couple things. I mean, we could do on release day, um, you could have like a, a panel of judges, maybe have five people, maybe pick five people from Startup Guild, you yeah. being one of them, and, uh, and they vote on you know, a couple categories. You, can, you could also then have like a People's Choice Award, but it would, it would bring some attention. It'd just be fun. You know, actually people getting doing stuff. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, I, I, I think something like that. I mean, that would be fun to participate in. Start up a thon. Start up a thon. <laughs> and I think you advertise like it that. on Hacker News. You write a big blog post about it, put it on Hacker News, and it might bring in a whole other 500 people to Startup Guild. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a nice little idea. Yeah, so that's, that's my suggestion. I, I just good think, one, Jason. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I, just think you, I just think you want to give people stuff to do. You know, just give people stuff to do that's productive and positive and also helps people learn, helps people meet, make connections because maybe, maybe they create something six weeks and maybe it just ends up being sort of a learning experience, Mm -hmm. but maybe the two or three people that they end up working with, they say, Hey, now let's do something for real. Right? Mm. No, that is, that is, I like it. I think that's very good. So now the question is, is how to fit that into my ridiculously busy schedule? When well, I can barely even fit this podcast into my schedule. Yeah, I think, well, I, I don't think it's, it takes much. I think just write, I think initially just start a thread in there and say, this is what we're thinking about doing, right? Your short thing and say, who would be interested? And, um, you know, just outline the idea, you know, whatever, you know, edit whatever I just said, you know, maybe you don't like some of my ideas, but you just throw it out there and see if people respond. I'll add it to my Nosby to-do list. Just put it in there. Just write it now. Like, <laughs> well, while like I'm talking to you. Lines. No, well, when we get off, just write it today. Just write this. <laughs> okay. Hey, this is a preliminary, you know, sort of test of <laughs> This is Jason at his best, ladies and gentlemen, where he's like kind of egging you on. He's like, go on, go on, do it, <laughs> do, do it, it, do it. Just <laughs> do it. Oh, speaking of that. Yeah. So I, I talked to Phil Amon today, a Phil who we've had on the show a couple times. He's a good, very good friend of oh, mine. Oh, your buddy Phil, yeah. Yeah, who, who um, we did. Uh, he was my co-founder in uh, our first startup together. And uh, so he is now, I guess, almost officially retired. <laughs> he, uh, he, he quit his job and he's, he, he was an early um, employee at a startup that was sold to uh, Thomson Reuters. And so he's done well enough to where he doesn't necessarily have to work. And so he's going to spend the next year, he said maybe the next couple of years, if he was just, just uh, doing whatever he wants. He's like, hmm. he's like got a lot of ideas. He's a lot of writing. What does he want to do? I don't know. He has ideas. He wants to do some screenwriting. I think he has ideas. He, I think he's interested in some of the entrepreneurship stuff. Yeah. And I think he might want to do a startup. I think he wants to write. I think he wants to, he's going to take some classes. I don't know. He's going to do a bunch of stuff, right? I think at first he's just going to decompress. And he's finishing up his MBA at uh, University of Chicago, so he's he's still got some few things to do. And he's also working uh, with, um, I think, the Hyde Park Angels, which is like an angel investing group out of uh, University of Chicago, um, which were, you know, uh, Phil and I went to school together. So what was your what, what was so the point? point is, Why did you bring him up? So the way I bring it up is he's like he's uh, he's talking about how he wants to do a bunch of stuff and how we inspired him with the podcast. Oh, yeah. so some of the some of his desire to get out and just like quit the job and actually get on with doing something that he really wants to do and i was like wow that's really cool i mean the fact that we inspire anybody to do anything is shocking usually we're just trying to waste people's time right isn't that no 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 <laughs> we, we my, my dream is to is to have a legion of ten thousand people all working from home working for themselves 
my dream is to make your hour and a half commute seem like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> seem like an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you, I was just thinking that you you have been starved for, for lack of exposure because this show, I really feel like you're a bubble that's just like you you just have a lot to say. And I don't mean that in a bad way. That's, no. that, that comes across bad. I don't mean that in a bad way. No. But just like I feel like a lot of energy coming from you this show. I have a ton of ideas. I have, t- I have more stuff to talk about than we have time. Yeah. Oh, God. That's why I need the that's why I need to do the podcast. Okay, what else you got? Well, anyway, I just thought that was really cool that because I could one thing that Phil said was that just by the fact that the podcast, he's like, you know, you guys have done like 120 some odd shows. He's like, does it ever strike you that you've actually done that many shows? <laughs> and which is it's just actually kind of cool that we've actually been doing this almost two years now. And we've started with zero, you know listeners effectively right Mm -hmm. and you know we're obviously we have ways to go before we have uh you know the twenty thousand that dvorak says is what you would is what he would term having traction yeah but we're somewhere and we do it and we ship pretty much every week usually twice a week what are the figures right now that's the stuff i'll just quickly kind of look pretty close to having about 1500 downloads after a week or so in that ballpark it's hard Hmm. to say around 1500 which is, uh, you know, this time last year, we had, uh, it'd take two weeks for us to have about 220 downloads. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't think we're quite that high. I think we're more like... We're close to 1,500 for sure after two weeks, because it, it sort of really tapers off. But we're about six times growth Yeah, we were um, a year ago. If we okay. could do anything like close to that again, obviously we'd be in great shape. We can get somewhere near 10,000 listeners. Mm-hmm. But I, basically, what it, I think what, it dem- what we demonstrated to Phil is that just do something you really like, and then just really do it, and keep doing it, and eventually you get you get some you get somewhere. I think that for us to for, for the show, just talk about the show meta now, just for maximum of two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, for us to grow, I think we we either need to market it, or one of us needs to start having some success with our businesses, it's like some proper success. So that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's a reason to really listen to these people. <laughs> like this guy's legit. He's demonstrated. He's, he's got a million, you know, he's making a million dollars a year or something. So yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That'll probably help. I, I just think right now we just keep doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Just keep yeah. doing it. I mean, six, six X growth in one year in our second year is, 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 uh, it's not bad. No, not too bad. Which we're doing something right. And it was funny. There was was a thread on there where someone said, hey, you know, you guys seriously got to make this show shorter. It's 90 minutes. (laughs) Someone else said, "Ah, I don't mind it, you know. And uh, and another person said, oh, you know, but I I like the interview shows. And someone else said, "Ah, I I like the discussion shows better. And I just was thinking, you know what? It's like, it's kind of like we have two different podcasts for one. We have the interviews and we have the discussion shows. Some people like interviews. Some people like discussion shows. And some, it probably just depends on their mood or who. Right. I know it's with me. Some shows that podcast I like, I'll go months not listen to it because I'm just not in the mood. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go through periods where I'm really into it. And that's probably the same with our listeners. Sometimes they're into it. Sometimes they're not. And uh, the other thing in terms of its length, it's just like, you know, that's, we've just figured out a format that works for us. That's all. We, we just can't do it any other length. Um, but I also think that because because it is that length, like, for example, the show with Ruben, we, we get into so much more detail. And I think that it's much more useful. Like, for example, if you listen to um, Andrew Warner's show, which I think is awesome, but you pretty much hear the same answers every time because there's no chance to get in, into the inside of the miracle functions. You know, when the show's only half an hour long, um, how do you how do you really find out how they did it? Yeah, I like yeah, I like I like long conversations because I like to get I like to hear the real story. I don't want to hear the bullet points. You mm. know, 
but luckily we got Philip Monet to, to come up with the TLDR comment where he says, all right, here are your main points. Here's what you need to learn. We should literally, I'm telling you, we should have, we should have a separate feed purely for Philip Monet's um, comments. TLDRs? Yeah. yeah. The, the, it, it's really useful. So, uh, Philip, we really appreciate that, by the way. I look back, I'm like, I look back and, and I read his points and I'm like, yeah, that was, those are good points. I forgot about <laughs> that. You know, because I mean, I was part of the conversation and I kind of forgot. But he, do you notice that he, do, he does that for the interview shows, but not for the discussion shows, right? Because that's because the discussion shows, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's, it's a different reason. Well, yeah, the discussion shows are really, you're really trying, oftentimes you're just trying to extract some useful information about how someone accomplished something. Especially, you mean, no, the interview shows, you mean? I, oh, that's what I say, discussion, I'm an interview show. Yeah. yeah. Discussion show, you know, we might say some things that are useful, you know, we might just say some things that are entertaining, we might just be... I think it's more, yeah. I think the discussion shows are more about um, accountability. Essentially, we're, we're holding, we're being accountable by the fact that we're supposed to be doing something and growing something. And hopefully you're doing something along with us. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's about. We're just, we're all building startups together. Really is what the discussion shows are about. So, um, I got a couple other quick things. Okay, shoot. Um, one is, uh, um, the, have you, do you know, do you know what SEO slugs are? Is that? Do you mean like in a, in, in the URL? Right. So instead of um, instead of it saying like on WordPress, it'll be page ID equals two yeah, twenty three yeah. seventeen. It says page I, page ID equals. It might still say twenty three seventeen, but then it'll say kind of the title in the URL with like yeah. spaces replaced by dashes or underscores or something. Right. Yeah. And um, my uh, client for this uh, this one project I'm working on, you know, is interested in having you know these SEO slugs. I had never even heard the term slug before i was like was he sure he's talking about and then uh then i started doing some research on i went with stack overflow and i was reading about what people were talking about and i see like the jury's kind of out on how much the seo slugs help um or how much the slugs help with seo but they still are kind of cool generally that you have a title that mirrors mm-hmm. the url that mirrors your title um i, I think the evidence I, it, it seems to me that the arguments of why it works are probably decent i think it probably does work to some degree it's just like it's like an SEO. It's like every little bit helps. Well, it, um, it it does work because basically, if someone's linking to you, like they've got you've got double the amount of the same keywords, really. Yeah, that, that's true too. And and also, I guess someone else uh, and and I guess one of these um, Stack Overflow uh, uh, threads said that it didn't. He wasn't sure whether it helped the SEO so much, but it certainly helped the click through rate when people emailed the link around or on. Um, yeah, when people emailed the link, the click through rate was was three hundred percent increase when the title was in the URL, as opposed to just... I'll, I'll give you an example. If you, if you search for images um, on Google and then go yeah. and have a look at the pages that the images are on, like by far and above, the biggest reason that they get ranked is because of the name of the file. Right. So it's pretty much a similar principle. The, you know, they, they must take the, the keywords into account that are in the actual link. Right. So, and especially in images, which are like... Um, because they don't have textual content, right? I mean, all you have is sort of like the, I guess you have like the uh, alt words or whatever, then the private yeah. image tag, but then you, but it's the, the, I guess the, the URL helps a lot. Yeah. So, okay, here's my point is SEO slugs in a dynamic application. It's one thing to do it for like static content or blog posts. It's another thing to do it for, um, to have it done dynamically and automatically generate them, right? Because they need to be unique slugs. Like, well, not really, because you, you just, you always, that's, that's why you just have the ID. Before, you, so have the you, ID. you have a unique ID, you always have the ID, and then after that, 
you just put the text and that can change to whatever it wants. Because like Quora doesn't use the ID. They just do it straight. Um, it looks, I think Stack Overflow does like a, either a dot or a dash. I can't remember, like after the text. And I, I think I heard that a good argument that you should do the slug first and then follow it by the ID um, with either like a dot or a dash because if anything gets cut off <laughs> in display or whatever, you don't, you, you don't want the, you'd prefer that, You'd prefer that it would be the, the ID and not the text in, in a display, like if you're looking in a browser or something, I guess. I don't know. That looks ugly to me. But um, I, I prefer having ID and then the slug because then it just, make, just makes sense that the end, of, the end of it is actually the article rather, you know, what the text is. That, that's just my preference. Yeah, yeah. Reference. I'm just thinking, I can't, okay, so I'm thinking about what I'm going to do is I'm going to create like a slug generator so that you can make that a, an option you know, when you create a, a model or whatever, or, or in your application. Well, that's how WordPress works. Have you, have you looked into WordPress, the way that the yeah. SEO stuff works? So no. what they do is they have like, um, you know, like Sprintf, where you do a yep. percent this, percent that. So they give you like a number of different percent S, percent B, whatever, and then they just say what that, what each of those will mean. Right. So, so one of them may mean the title, one of them may mean the ID, whatever, and you can basically reformat it and make it look like whatever you want. That's pretty cool. I'll have to take a look at that. So, because that's something I'm definitely going to um, add to Epic Night because one of my the client projects is going to require that. So, I thought that was kind of interesting because I'd never done it before. And yeah, um, yeah. So I got a, uh, I got another topic here. Cool. So I found a great new podcast. Huh. X three with John C. Dvorak. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. You've so, mentioned it to me like three times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I haven't looked at it yet. Well, well uh, I mean, my, a couple of my favorite podcasts were uh, Cranky Geeks, which he used to host, um, which has been since canceled. I think it was canceled back in the fall sometime. And um, the other one was Tech 5, where he would do like five-minute um, sort of just reading some of the uh, top news items in tech, and he would just little quick quips about, about them. Mm-hmm. And what X3 is, is he does like, it's like five to, I don't know, four to seven minutes of commentary with just himself and two other pundits. Um, I can't remember uh, the guy's names, but uh, they're both pretty sharp and, uh, and you know, good. They're funny. Yeah. Um, and it's just like uh, Cranky Geeks, actually. It's a video. Um, it's not just audio. And what they do, it's clear that they, what they do is they shoot like seven or eight shows in a row. Yeah. And they just release one, one each day. So they have something every day instead of making one long show. I see. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that way they can spread the content out. Yeah. So it's kind of like tech five in that way, but it's the format of, um, of, uh, cranky geeks where it's just like, they're sitting around a table kind of talking over the topics with okay. Dvorak as the host. So I highly recommend it if you, if you, uh, looking for another, does it work but, as a podcast or do you, is it mainly needs to be a video? Oh uh, no, I, I, I listen to it on, um, as of audio, but I also like watching it when, you know, if I'm watching at my desk, I mean, I've actually gone back and listened to all of them because sometimes I'm working on boring stuff. I need to listen to something that's sort of entertaining. Otherwise I, I lose focus. Even though it's only 10 minutes long per show. Yeah. Yeah. What do, what do you mean? Because I, I, that would be a pain. That'd be annoying for me to have to keep on switching out the show every 10 minutes. Well, I just, you just, it's on the list. You just click on, on, on iTunes. It's play when it's over. It goes back oh, to the, place the next one. Next one. Okay, no, it right. does. And I just click on the next one and it's okay. But um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a Dvorak fan. I, find, I think he's really funny. He, he kind of reminds me of my uncle where I'm always like, say something, Uncle John, say something. I'm just like sitting there waiting for him to say something because he's so funny. And just kind of a curmudgeon, kind of a rah, cranky geek, I guess. And so uh, <laughs> I, really, I really enjoy it. I really missed um, 
cranky geeks. I was really bummed when they canceled it. So I was glad to see it come back on. But I kind of got me thinking. It's like God, one day I would love to if we could do our show as an as a uh, as an actual like video show. Well, I was saying to you, I mean, if you think audio production is a big deal, wait till you try video production. I mean, that's that's a whole new dimension to the to the amount of work we have to do. Well, if we could get if we grow at the rate we're growing, this wait we've at the rate we've been growing for the last two years, if we can keep that up for another year or two, and maybe get between ten and twenty thousand uh, listeners. Yeah, then it would be then worth maybe. It that we would sort of like, you know, we could get real, real advertisers and yeah. it would be worth the time, you know? Um, that, would be a, that would be a blast, at least for the discussion shows. Or maybe we have a panel, you know, our panel. Not a bad idea. Panel shows. Um, I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun when I watched it. I'm like, because oh, I was looking at their show and I'm like, they have, it's all black in the background. It's like, I bet you they just get like a regular room and they put some, you know, I don't know if they, if they do black like drop cloths or something and they have a table in there. I wonder if you could set something up like that and uh, make it look like a studio without spending a lot of money. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm scared that we've done a little bit too much meta on the show, but just very quickly, uh, post on the blog whether you think that would be a, a good idea for us to do. Video or is audio enough? Let us know. Well, it's, it's two years <laughs> off. It's not relevant. No, don't worry about it. It's not relevant. So um, let's see. You got any other ideas? Because I got... Well, we, you, you, I think we're kind of coming to the end. Are we? Where yeah. we, how long are we an hour? Okay, oh, okay, go on. We'll do okay. Two more ideas, and then that's your bag. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. Two more ideas. Okay, I got a small one. IMF bombshell: Age of America nears end on Market Watch. So Market Watch is this sort of um, I don't know tech uh, news site. I mean, Dvorak actually writes. That's Dvorak, isn't it? Yeah, he writes for them. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. Market Watch is a okay, is yeah, very yeah. mainstream news uh, business news site, and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, uh, I guess is then uh, I think it was 2016. China is going to surpass the United States in terms of a real GDP. Interesting. And we were three times the size of China ten years ago. And so they're going to pass us when? Uh, 2016. Hmm. In less Which is years. not not too long away. So what 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 do you take from that? What are the implications from that from your point of view? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's it's. I mean, I think. I'll, I mean, the U.S. is kind of a declining empire in my view. <laughs> I mean, I think we've our uh, the amount of debt that we've accumulated. I think we've just sort of overextended ourselves. All these wars and all this debt, and I mean, we're extremely powerful country. I mean, we, we have. Like, I have 10,000 nuclear warheads and we have, we're still, we'll still be at least the second largest GDP in the country and we have incredible influence, but I think we're, we're, we're over the peak. <laughs> you know, I think we're just like England was at a certain point, right? They were the dominant empire and then they weren't anymore. And I think the U S is, you know, it's the kind of thing that people have been talking about for a long time and other people just boom, poo pooing. It's like, ah, oh, you know, that's not true, but I don't think know. it's going to make a lot of difference to be perfectly honest. Well, what difference did it make to the, in the UK from your perspective? I mean, I, I don't know where, I don't know, because I think the UK kind of lost the empire status after World War II, right? It does. I mean, it, the funny thing is, if you live in London, it doesn't really make any difference because it feels like London is the capital of the world anyway. Yeah. Like it literally has the most money flowing through it. Um, yeah, it has the, you know, the largest diversity of culture. I mean, it's still yeah. just a massive, you know, England is still incredibly influential on the global, on the global playing field. Yeah, I think I think some of the things that might happen is the, the the big issue, and I know this is a much deeper, longer issue, so I won't get too into it. But is the idea of the U.S. dollar being a reserve currency, so that uh, most of these transactions in, in oil that occur around the world 
are are priced in dollars, and so all these countries have to hold um, essentially U.S. dollars or or U.S. debt in order to, you know, perform the transactions. And a lot of countries are getting kind of upset because well, while the U.S. dollar has been the the safest currency in the world, the fact that we're printing so much of it to to sort of monetize our current debt is making other countries upset because if they hold a bunch of our debt. We owe the money, but then we just keep printing dollars to make the dollars worth less. They're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's BS, right? And so, um, uh, you know, a number of countries, especially the BRIC countries, uh, you know, Brazil, Russia, d- India, and China, and among others, are, have been sort of, you know, tr- trying to figure out ways to get away from that. So does it mean that internally the dollar is still pretty strong, but externally it becomes weaker? Yeah, so what it means is when we print dollars, I mean, it, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. It's a really complicated discussion, and I don't know if anyone has a, can give you a, a, a super clear answer because no one really knows because it's so complex. But even economists who say they know what's going on tend to be wrong a lot of the time. But what is true is that— Maybe we should get James Altucher on to talk about it. He, but he's not. He, you know, even he isn't an economist, right? He's a trader. He's a smart guy, but he's not an economist. Right. You need to get an economist who who, who uh, specializes in monetary policy to really talk about it intelligently. But uh, essentially, that if we, the more dollars that we print, the the weaker the dollar gets in terms of other currencies, and the more expensive their imports are to us. And uh, you know, I don't know. It's a lot of different things happen. But one thing's for sure, though, is that if they own a lot of our debt. And we price, and we keep printing money effectively. And we don't actually, it's not actually just printing dollars. It's about issuing debt to um, the federal banking system and uh, that kind of stuff. It's the more complicated than that. But bottom line is, um, yeah, the other countries don't like it so much because it sort of allows us to, you know, get free money in a way. So what does that have to do with China? Well, China will, um, it's funny, it's like, what does it have to do with the price of tea in China? You're the, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Effectively, yeah. So um, what it means is that as China's economy grows um, and they surpass us in terms of real GDP, they're going to be less interested in using, in the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency and the, and the, and the more power they're going to have in, on the world economy to make that not the case anymore. And when we when the U.S. dollar ceases to be the reserve currency, which might happen sometime in the next 10 to 20 or years or so, then uh, we're going to lose a lot of flexibility. It's kind of like we have a credit card that we can just keep up in the debt and we can keep getting away with like buying things on credit card. No one's calling on our limit and saying, you guys can't buy anything more. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a lot. It's a basically allows the U.S. to live beyond its means to some is essentially what it means, I think. Interesting. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. So I got one other thing thing um okay we'll do this one and then we'll and then we'll call it the last we will call it the last this is a really small (laughs) thing i found something called founderlist.com which was like the the mirror image of of startup guild except it was was for funded for companies that were for, for entrepreneurs who were looking to get funded trying to find investment you know asking uh questions about um you know uh in, investment terms and uh equity deals and everything like that and i just thought that was kind of funny you had to apply to get in and i was like man this is like the exact it was like a private but it was but like it's an for email, an email list right it's for an email list rather than a rather than a, a website it doesn't use Yammer. It doesn't use some, it's not real-time discussion, which at Yammer is more like a real-time or semi-real-time discussion. It's an email list. So, but it's the same 
kind of thing anyway i mean email lists okay. are great because they you know it, you can get them sent to you in digest or whatever and they come into your inbox and you can kind of participate as and when you're interested in participating um you don't have to go anywhere so i guess in in some senses that could be a good a good thing for startup guild to do i mean just to have something that keeps on dropping in your inbox although yammer does a pretty good job of that anyway yammer does it i, I get enough of that through yammer i wouldn't want any more yeah, I get plenty of the Ammer. <laughs> to be honest with you, they and I'll worry about that. Oh, I do have one last thing. Oh no, I got I got this. So here, what is it? Here is here's here. It's almost like a blog post. I'm thinking startups <laughs> are by definition suffering from NIH or not invented here syndrome. Oh yeah, yeah, you were talking about this. Yeah, because I think we talked about offline. It was like because we got in this thread. Um, there was um, one guy who was talking about how um, you know you shouldn't. You shouldn't ever rate anything yourself. It's because I said on the Startup Guild, I, I was just, I was working on yet another MVC framework for a client, JavaScript MVC. And I was just like, oh God, I'm so pissed off with all of these MVC frameworks. And I just said, just in a, in a moment of, I don't know, madness. Frustration. Uh, frustration. I, oh God, I, I really hate MVC. I wish it was never invented. <laughs> now, of course, you know, my own frameworks are MVC and uh, all, the, all the client work that I do is MVC. But I just said that. And I guess the thing is, because that's such a small snippet and not saying everything else, but, you know, I, I didn't say, oh, and by the way, I work on MVC all the time and I, I, I've written, you know, many thousands of lines of code in MVC. I just said that. And it just basically started a little bit of a war, flame war. Really. Yeah, well, I defended your honor, by the you way. Did. <laughs> which was very nice of <laughs> jumped you. In. Yeah, one, one thing he said, which was, was that um, you should never start your own project, you should always fork off an existing project. Or not fork off, or commit to an existing project. Join another community and help other projects that exist. And I was like, you know, a lot of times it does make sense, but other times it doesn't. I mean, there would be no jQuery, there would be no Rails, there would be no Python, there'd be no Node.js. None of these things would exist if everybody just joined an existing effort, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, 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 if John Resick, when he was starting jQuery, everybody said, no, don't do that, just work on prototype, man. You know, the guys who Mewtwo's. I mean, you have to have people forking off and going off on their own and trying new stuff with the knowledge that it's usually going to fail, right? But every once in a while, it succeeds and it succeeds big, just like startups. And startups, you know, embody this. It's like, you know, oh, you don't like how some service works? Just go get a job there and try and make it better. Don't start your own company. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> no. right? You, yeah, no, that you doesn't need- make any sense. Yeah, but it's the same thing. And it's funny that nobody makes this, this sort of comparison because there's all these people who write code and we always talk about NIH and joining communities and then yet we're always talking about startups and no one says, hey, you know, starting your own project is essentially like a startup, right? I You're think going that's a better blog post than the other one. You think so? Yeah, I do, yeah. Well, I'll do both of them and we'll see which one goes. But yeah, that will probably take off on Hacker News. Yeah, because definitely. Because it's a really good point. It's a really good point. And people yeah. don't, don't think of startups that way. Yeah, because the thing is that you... you you need, and a point I made in the thread when we were having, when we were having this discussion when I was defending your honor <laughs> was that you, you need all kinds, right? And you need people who are going to join existing communities and work. You're going to need people who are supporters, people who are promoters, people who are critics. You're going to need people who are going to go off on their own and blaze their own trail. Most of them are going to fail, but some of them are going to succeed big. I mean, DHA succeeded huge with Rails. John Rissig succeeded huge with jQuery and all this. And now, and what's the payoff? The payoff is they're big shots now, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, everybody wants to talk at a conference. They want to read their books. They want to hear them talk. They can get funded for anything, right? So there's a huge payoff for starting your own stuff. But, you know, it, but it's, it's a risk-reward trade-off, right? There's a high risk, 
you know, but high reward. You know, if you join on a new, if you join on as a core committer to some project, you'll get a little juice out of it. You'll get some recognition. Um, you'll earn some credibility because you're a core committer to some project that has some visibility. Um, and you'll learn, you make some connections, and that might work. That might work a lot better for most people. The reward profile work a lot better than starting your own thing. But you're not going to be John Resick, right? Yeah. By joining by joining some of the project. I mean, I have no idea who are all the core committers to Linux. Do you know? I think no, I know. I just, I just I think know. I, re- I just know. Linus, like the main guy, Linus, yeah. whatever his name is. Linus Torvalds, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You don't know any of these people. And they, so their, their brand, name, brand name recognition is zero, right, for that. And I think I looked at the core committer a list for, um, I think it was jQuery, and I knew, I recognized one name, um, and he was like a guy who was a core committer to... But I, like would, I would add a caveat to that, which is, I think that it's going to be easier for you to start something like jQuery if you join another project first and spend a few months being part of a team and then understanding how, how projects run and then branch out to your own other thing. Yeah, people say that all the time. You know, they say that with startups, like go join another company first. But you see a lot of people succeeded and a lot of these companies at Y Combinator, et cetera, they started right out of college. They didn't, a lot of them were still in college. John Resig, I don't think he committed anything. He was still in college when he started work on jQuery. DHH was uh, in college and he was doing consulting with PHP and then he just wrote Rails on the side. He didn't work on, he wasn't a big committer to some other projects, as far as I know. I guess. Right? Yeah, it could be right. Yeah. I think, it, you know, you work either way. I mean, the bottom line is you need, you need both. <laughs> you can't have everybody starting their own damn project. Then you're going to have like 10 million projects <laughs> yeah. and none, none of them are beyond point, you know, O2 ver- version O2, you know? It's like you need, you need some that, um, you need, you need, need the whole ecosystem to work. But anyway, the bottom line is that startups are, uh, are essentially a, a manifestation of not invented here. It's like, oh, this sucks. I'm going to start my own company and, you know, we're going to do it the right way. And, uh, you know, and the payoff, of course, is that you can, uh, you know, make a lot of money as well. Get finan- win financial independence, right? Yeah. And then you can be like Phil and then you can travel the world reading and uh, thinking. Awesome. And is that how think- Phil started his startup? Was it, was it in <laughs> NIH? No, it wasn't even his startup. Uh, the, the the one that won him his freedom. <laughs> so he, uh, he was joined. a joiner. He was a joiner. He joined completely against up. what you just said. Completely what you against what you just said. So <laughs> this guy yeah. is is living proof that the best way to do it is to not start your own thing and to join someone else's. <laughs> no, not the best way is a way. <laughs> okay. A way to do it is probably a a higher probability way to achieve financial success is to join a startup of people who are competent and committed and maybe even have some uh, history of being successful um, and, and getting a little bit of equity in that. But I've heard some, uh, I've heard some um, arguments against that. Sometimes it's hard in those situations to get enough equity for to make a difference unless you get in real early. Yeah, that's true. You had to get in real early. You got to be one of the first, you know, five or six people or something. If, you could, if you're like probably 20, it, it may not make that much difference. If you factor in the fact that you're going to ha- make a lower than market wage and the options that you get you know, where they're priced, it, it may not work out. But I think it just depends. All right. Like everything, Justin, it depends. It depends. There's, there is no truth. There's no one truth. <laughs> it's truth. It's just not. There's no one fun. truth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, I yeah, it's been a good show, uh, I think. I, guess I think we'll have to wait till next week. Yeah. For the, uh, the other 30. Well, try All and right. hold it in. I will. I'll, I'll write down my ideas. <laughs> And I'll actually try and get a couple of these blog posts out. How about that? Okay. Actually, get something out. I haven't posted anything since, like, December, so I'm, I'm due. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>